Okay, so last time we were learning, we started speaking about the idea of the Gevura, that the love that a Benini can feel during davening comes from the Gevura of the Nefesh. Right? We spoke about Gevura. What is Gevura? I don't remember what we said Gevura was. That passion. Right, that passion. Right, that, right. And the idea, right, is that Gevura comes out with intensity because it's drawing from a deeper place in oneself, right? And so, like, just like physical strength, there's the level of strength that we have just readily available. And then there's where we have to dig deep in order to, like say, lift something very, very heavy. You know, extreme examples, like, you know, the grandmother with her grandchild stuck under the car, right? So the idea is that it's the guvura of the godly soul which manifests as this flaming, intense love, which causes the animal soul to be so subdued that it's effectively asleep. Right? That was the state during prayer. Um, and it says that the gvura is sourced in Bina. Okay. So, if you look on your Kabbalah chart over there, you'll notice that the gvura is right under the Bina. You just said, you know, Um, as the intense, passionate love. If you look in the Kabbalah chart, you see the Gevura is right under the Bina. So, and that indicates that there's some kind of connection between Bina and Gevura, and that's what we want to talk about today. So, um, What's the difference? So, so first off, Chachma and Bina of the godly soul are different than Chachma and Bina, generally speaking. So this, I have to start, take a step back and talk about something general about the godly soul. In the godly soul, everything is in reference to God. And it's only in reference to God. So, whereas... Um, I'll use an example of a person. Is a person capable of shoveling piles of dirt? Yes, a person is capable of doing such a thing, right? But that doesn't, that, that, they wouldn't say that a person shoveling piles of dirt um, is in any way a manifestation of who they are as a human being. As opposed to if a person engages in some sort of craft, let's say for instance, they're, they're um, making a clay pot, right? that manifests something of their humanity. Right? That's in fact why if you wanted to like, break someone's human spirit, as a friend of mine who used to be in the Russian army many, many, many years ago, but, um, he said, how, how, what was Russian army service like? So woke up very early in the morning and they gave you a shovel and they said, dig ditch from here, this way, till nightfall. And then the next morning they wake you up and say, now fill in ditch. Oh, now dig ditch again till nightfall. Now fill in ditch, right? Break your... <laughs> yeah, part of the trick is not using the word the or a. Because right? they don't have equivalents in Russian. Anyway, he's a, he's a wonderful man. Um, you know, probably closer to my father's age than my age. Um, but he, yeah, like the, the whole point is to break the spirit, right? Whereas, right, taking the material world and manipulating it into something which has 
either form or function, right? Either it's aesthetically pleasing, right? Or it's useful, right? That does manifest something about the human being, right? So the godly soul, um, so much so, put it this way, the godly soul cannot, all the godly soul can do is to relate to God. Even something like, say, studying Talmud, studying Halacha, is something the godly soul um, has to do um, in, in a way that, that, that is not really its natural stuff. In other words, it has to, it has to, it has to um, almost be convinced that that's a worthwhile endeavor, right? Uh, because if you look at the halacha, you look at Talmud, what does it speak about? What is the content of the, that, those works? The world in which we live in, right? So for the, for the godly soul to start wondering about whether or not you can put the food um, on the stove before Shabbos or not, or whether you know, these two people are allowed to stay married or whatever, it's, it's so, it, it, for, 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 for the godly soul, that's like shoveling dirt back and forth. It's only if the godly soul knows that somehow that will connect it to God that the godly soul can see any value in it. The godly soul, on its own accord, all it can experience is things that are in direct relationship with Hashem. So, the godly soul, it's, it's chachma, which is part of its intellectual abilities, and it's bina, it's only chachma and bina in relation to Hashem. Okay. Now, to explain that, I want to just talk about chachma bina generally as a human being, and then we'll talk about Hashem, with, with the godly soul. The chachma um, is the part of our intellect which allows us to become aware of things. So Chachma is associated with openness, receptivity, creativity, a sense of the truth, wisdom. Okay? Meaning, right, this, you know, some people see things that others don't see. That, that's the idea of Chachma, broadly speaking. Whereas Bina is the, effect, is, is the part of their mind that is able to hold on to something and really integrate it into the rest of themselves. In other words, right, that not to have a sense of how this fits with everything else. So you're breaking it apart, putting it together, and, and, and thus really comprehending it, understanding it. So it's consistent and cohesive with everything else. Yeah. Um, if someone's chachma is more active in a class, how would that be manifest? So how would that be manifest? The person who's much more chachma, there'd be a lot more listening, right? Someone who listening, not just physically not talking, but de- like listening, hearing what was being said. Right? What if what was said didn't make sense? What if they had a question? Well, they wouldn't have a question. You know why they wouldn't have a question? They're just listening. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to relate it to yourself. That's right. At you're, you're, all. At all. So it's just pure knowledge. Well, so the, the, that's the thing is that 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 chachma, like, like chachma, chachma is an aspect of, of, of the soul, right? So have you ever, like, some people when they listen, it's like the lights go on. And some people when they listen, all they hear are words. Mm-hmm. Right? So, but, so that, for the person lights go on, their, their chachma is a very, is very, 
powerful, and the person is just hearing the words, is not so powerful. Okay. Um, so B'chacham is really allowing the truth of something to present itself. It's very much allowing, allowing something to reveal itself for what it is to you. Whereas Bina, you, you're trying to, you do have to, you have to act, wait a minute, this doesn't fit with that, this doesn't make sense, right? There seems to be an inconsistency with the teacher's explanation, right? So the very fact that your mind is asking questions is already the use of what? Bina, okay? Now, in real life, Chacham Bina are not two totally separated things, right? They relate to each other, but in a process where Chachma, in other words, if there was be Chachma and no Bina, you wouldn't even have an idea because an idea is, a, is something that is defined enough that it could be understood. So the fact that you walk away with at least an idea that you're confused about, right? You know what you're confused about. You know what you need to understand is already some use of Bina because you've delineated like what is, what is the thing I don't know? Whereas if it was just Chachma, you wouldn't even have that. And if you just had Bina on its own, um, well, then you would just sound ridiculous because you wouldn't have any sense of whether something makes sense or doesn't, right? You wouldn't have any sense of the truth of things. It's like, you ever listen, you know what a Mad Lib is? Where it's grammatically correct but nonsensical? Right, the thing that tells you that that can't be, it just, it doesn't make sense. That's the Chachm. The bean is making sense of it, but the Chachm is like, you know, you know, two plus two is five. No, why not? Well, your Chachm says, well, it just, just, it can't, like, like, look at it. Two plus two can't be five. It just, it just can't. Right? Interesting. I like the math of example. Right. Make sense? Okay. So now, so, so there's always some relation, but, but the one is more, one, usually one is more dominant, one is more passive. There's these going different, you know, sometimes people have a, um, a, a stronger tendency towards one, different stages of learning. You do one more for the other. Okay. So remember what I said about questions? Questions are associated with which aspect of the mind? Okay. So now, let's go back to the godly soul. Godly soul is chachma, and the godly soul has bina. But remember, the godly soul, everything is only in reference to... Okay, so what is the chachma of the godly soul? The truth, right. That the godly soul has just a sense of the truth of Hashem. This is going to be from relevant in chapter 18. That's going to be developed at great length. What's the bina then? The understanding, the understanding of Hashem. Mm-hmm. But but what does that mean? Let's, let's, what does that understanding mean? Like what is understanding? Maybe how it can be related to life. But but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be related to the world like worldly life. But it could be like how Hashem is related to the soul, right? Okay, so that's an important thing, right? Is that the 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 Right. It would have to be how Hashem is related to things, right? Because right? you're trying to make sense of something in terms of something. But how Hashem is related to the world would be weird because the godly soul is not really... Now, it's true, once the godly soul is clothed in the body and the animal soul, that might end up becoming a part of it, but that's not intrinsic to that. Okay, right. So I, I think because we're dealing with something a little bit abstract, it's helpful to make it concrete by an analogy. What is something true about Hashem? 
that the godly soul could have a question about. That the godly soul would need to come to understand. Um, well, let's leave the world out of it because that, 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 that's something that has to be added in, right? Because God the soul is on. So the, the first thing, Hashem is one, that's good, okay? But what's the question the godly soul would have about that? So Hashem is one. Very good. There's a major question. Hashem is one, which, as Chassidus explains, the truth of that, it means there's nothing other than Hashem. And yet, here I am. Here I am. mean the godly soul. The godly soul. I am. Right. Okay. So the godly soul has a consciousness of itself, separate from Hashem. Does you see that creates a major question? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that question create a sense of distance between the soul and Hashem? Yeah. Okay. What kind of feeling do you feel when what you want is very far away from you? Yearning. Yearning. What kind of a, what kind of, like a yearning, a thirst, or a hunger, a, a desire, right? That kind of feeling, right? Okay. That would be associated with which kind of attribute? Kavura. What is Gevura? No, Gevura is not holding back. Gevura often comes with an element of holding back. That's not the essence of Gevura. The essence of Gevura is that, right, just like our Mishnah says, who is, right, that that you overcome something, you have to dig deeper into yourself, right? Okay, so what happens, what happens when a person is really, interesting. what happens when a person is really thirsty and the water is very far away? Are they able to, they feel a very strong desire, right? And that strong desire gives them power and strength and drive beyond what they normally experience, right? Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, the more you reflect upon something, and you realize, on the one hand, how important it is to you, and on the other hand, how distant it is from you, the associated feeling that's generated is one that's driven by the gevura of the nefesh. The nefesh, the soul becomes extremely, right? It, deeper parts come out, there's a greater intensity, right? Um, the Rambam actually says that what is the ideal way to perform the mitzvah of loving Hashem? the way that someone is lovesick. Now, when a person is lovesick, why would you use the term lovesick? Why say sick? They're starving for it. And what does that, what does that do? It t- takes them over, right? Mm-hmm. The intensity is driven this away and everything else becomes either incorporated to that or subordinated to that, right? Or left aside. Mm-hmm. Obsessive. It's very obsessive. Tunnel vision. Right? So what happens... If the godly soul is very active with its bina, then what is it doing? 
Well, it's pondering the greatness of Hashem on the one hand. But that pondering the greatness of Hashem on the one hand, on one hand, the godly soul is intrinsic, has intrinsic affinity towards Hashem, right? So Hashem is very, very real. You're pondering and engaging. On the other hand, the more that greatness of Hashem becomes clearer, right? Hashem doesn't seem to be immediate, and Hashem doesn't seem to be present, and Hashem doesn't seem to be readily available. On the contrary, the very existence of the soul, although more so once it's clothed in the body, right? It's like pondering upon, reflecting upon someone you love, right, who's far away from you, right? All that does is makes you have strong, intense yearning. Right? And what happens to the animal soul during that experience? During the experience? Yeah, if that's what's happening to the person. If the person is, what? Comes lovesick. The oh. animal soul. Oh, the animal soul? No. Or it just goes to sleep. It goes to sleep. Because the intensity of that experience means that the animal soul has no place. It doesn't, right? And so it just withdraws into itself and waits for it to be over. Mm-hmm. But that intensity only lasts as long as the person is in that state of reflecting on the greatness of Hashem. Now, what's very important to understand is we're, we're, going to talk, we're talking about a non-tzadik. Okay, so... In other words, it is possible that a person can experience a kind of closeness to Hashem which actually affects a real change in the animal soul, that it becomes subdued, truly subjugated, or even transformed. That's not what we're talking about. We're just saying that at present, because of the intensity of the godly soul's yearning for Hashem, the animal soul has no place to manifest. The consciousness is filled up with that. But that intensity, and this is very key, that intensity is not something the person is trying to create, it is the byproduct of the Bina. It's the byproduct of that really being fully engaged with these questions about the greatness of Hashem. Yeah. So, like, if a person is in a state of pain because they're contemplating the greatness of Hashem and can't feel like they can comprehend it, would that be, what would that be? Would that be... That would be the pain of their intellectual ego confronting their own limitations. It has nothing to do with the godly soul. It's nothing to do with what we're talking about. Okay. Because at the end of the day, you can connect to Hashem through Torah mitzvahs, right? It's, it's the, 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 the yearning has a outlet, Right? That's what chapter four of Tanya is all about, right? So the frustration, the, the frustration of not being able to comprehend, A, indicates that the goal here is comprehension. Not, in other words, there's a difference between the subject. Or even kind of connection. Like, are you feeling frustrated? But, 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 what, but, but, but this is the thing is that if we, make it, if we make it a little bit more, if we take it out of the realm of, of, of theology and put it in the realm of human relationship, it's a little bit clear, okay? The fact that I don't fully understand someone that's important to me, my wife, my, um, my, my children, my parents, my friends, like they don't fully understand them. Um, that doesn't create any pain. What creates the pain is a feeling of distance from them. Yeah. Now, is the lack of understanding in and of itself create distance? In and of itself, just the fact that there's someone in your life and you don't really understand them. 
that means that you no, it doesn't automatically create distance, right? It creates distance if you're if the if the only thing you see about them is connecting through them through some sort of mutual understanding. But what about if it's a pain of not feeling connected enough? Is that still? The but ego? but the question but the question is where is that coming from? A pain of not feeling connected and can come from any book. From lots ego, of it. Be lots of things, right? Sure. So the thing is, what he's describing here is. And I want to focus on, on what he's describing here rather than every possible experience a person can be having, is that the, 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 what it creates here is not pain per se, but desire. The desire has an element of pain, but it's much more about desire. It's creating very, very intense desire. Why? Because desire is... What makes desire intense is not the fact that something is appealing. What makes desire intense is the distance you have to overcome to attain it. And by contemplating on the greatness of Hashem, it's thrusting that question of like, how, how big is the gap between the truth of Hashem, the greatness of Hashem as it really is, and the, the reality of, of the soul being its own being, all the more so it's clothed in the body. And that, because for the soul, connection to Hashem is not optional. Connection to Hashem is not a rational thing that, well, it's worthwhile because that's the best way to get X, Y, or Z. So that sense of distance just creates deeper, intense passion, which again, has an outlet with Torah mitzvahs. Right? Um, so so if, you were to, if you were to think about it, like if there's a person um, that you're close to and you don't understand them, and you talk to them. And the more you talk to them, the more you realize like, how different they are from you. If their importance to you is not simply because you happen to get along, you're, you're of like type. Not something as superficial as that. So think, because hopefully a spouse has that, is that kind of relationship. Uh, um, a sibling, um, right? But a friend, the more you realize that, right, that, that generally what that does is it creates a further desire to find a way to connect, to find a way to be part of that person, find a way to engage on that level where they are really different than you, they are really unique from you, they are really different. Right? Um, but the, 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 the thing here is that this kind of bina of the godly soul, this kind of bina of the godly soul, it's very important that it's the bina of the godly soul. It's not the human ability to ask questions and try to make sense of things. Because that tries to make sense of the concept of God, the role that God plays in the life human beings live. So I'm going to give you a, an example of the difference the way, the way the godly soul's bina would address God versus the way that the regular animal soul's bina would address God. Okay. Um, if somebody somebody has a, a, a teacher who is very dedicated to them, they were very dedicated to this teacher, right? Um, and in their youth. They, they, they saw that teacher, you know, the way this, a, a child does, right? They saw that teacher very much in the framework of this person helped me, this person was there for me, right? 
And as they get older, they start to realize how, you know, this teacher is, is the, 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 this teacher is a much greater person than they knew. This teacher has a much richer life than they knew. That the level of involvement and dedication that the teacher had was far beyond what they knew. And all of that sense of closeness and attachment drives them to try and grapple with how profound and how awesome and how how incomprehensible this person really is and the degree of involvement and to try to come to terms with that. That's one kind of use of Bina, right? There's another kind of use of Bina of a, um, a person trying to come up with a coherent explanation, a coherent justification for why life in their society should be the way it is, right? So let's say they you know, Western capitalist country. So trying to understand like, well, well, why is our system of government just? And why is our system of economics just? And trying to come up with what are the principles that must be true in order to underlay that. Those are, those are both uses of your bina, right? But they're very different. What's the key difference between them? One is relating to a person and one is relating to an idea. And, from the, and, and I want to mention two other differences and they all go together. One is you trying to, the understanding is meant to justify something. And the other, the understanding right, creates um, a, a change of feeling, right? In one, the basis is already a sense of connection. And in the other, right, the, 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 the entire thing is self-serving, right? So one, you have this connection with this person. You're trying to underst understand the way that, that's or understanding the person. And the result of that is a more intense, intensified sense of attachment and devotion and connection to the person. The other is... I have a need not to just like, we'll say, well, that's the way it is. I feel the need to, to have some sort of rationalization for things. And therefore, I'm relating to things as ideas, right? And then I'm using those ideas for what? To feel good, to make myself feel good about the way that I'm living my life or I would like my life to look. And both of those you use Bina, right? But they're very, very different. What are we describing here? A person whose godly soul, who, again, is, is intrinsically predisposed to relate to everything in terms of Hashem, using the Bina to try and come to this, what is the greatness of Hashem? What is the unity of Hashem? What does it mean that Hashem fills reality, that Hashem transcends reality, that there's nothing other than Hashem? What do these things really mean? And, and, and trying to grapple with, 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 with how do I connect to Hashem? How do I find my place to Hashem? And realize, and all that does is intensifies the desire, and the outlet for that is terminus. But while that desire has become intensified, the animal soul doesn't have a place. That's the state of the, that's the state of Bain he could reach during prayer. Does that leave any lasting impression on the animal soul? Not really. Okay. Good? Okay, so now let's go back to, we had this idea, Rabbah mistakenly thought that he was a Bain so if you can turn the page, we're on page 58. Rabbi was a great sage in the Talmud, and he mistakenly thought that he was a Bainani. Now, how could you mistakenly think that you're a Bainani? 
it's the page before page 14, before chapter 14. Did we get new papers? Uh, the people here were here last week had it. Thirty. Is it fifty-eight? So now have it. Let me see. Should have it. You have the page after. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen. Not fifteen. Thirteen. You were here for thirteen. Thank you. So then you have a different edition of the book. Okay, so which could also be the feeling of intense desire for something that you're very far away from. Yeah. That's a standard what experience. What is it essentially, though? Gevura, gevura is... Gevura is the... The Gevura is the intensity of the soul for things that are really important to it. Now, often that manifests as being very judgmental and withholding things. Because if something is really important to me, I don't want it misused. So, I keep my money away from, you know that I think don't really need my money, right? Okay. But the thing is that Gavura is not in essence withholding. If Gavura does feel that this is worthwhile coming out, it comes out with a greater intensity. Whereas Chesed doesn't have that. Chesed has this quality that you're predisposed to giving but, and to connecting and to reaching out, but it's coming from a place, it's, it's coming from a superficial place. It's coming from a place where you're not in, your whole self isn't invested in it. So many of us are willing to help people as long as it doesn't cost us too much. That's chesed. Some people who have a strong attribute of chesed just feel that they just never feel the cost is too high. That's all that's happening. Gevura is, I don't care how much, it costs me, and I don't care that it costs me because I really care. You're overcoming the fact that it costs you. So it's an intense care for something. And then it expresses itself both as withholding and as intense um, connection, both. Mm -hmm. Why do children, why do parents get really angry at their children? Why do parents make rules about what their children aren't allowed to do? Because they are scared and anxious that they'll get hurt. Yeah. Um, why are fathers willing to let their children have ice cream for dinner? Mm, they don't care as much. Eh, what's the big deal? I'm not going to hurt anybody. That's chesed, you understand? Mm. <laughs> like, you can't do that. <laughs> okay, good? Make sense? Okay. For this reason, Rabbah considered himself as though he were a Baini, though his mouth never ceased from Torah study and his desire was in Hashem's Torah day and night, in the, with the passionate craving and longing of a soul yearning for Hashem with overwhelming love, such as experiencing the reciting of the Shema Namida. Now, Rabbah was a person who assumed that he was a Baini. Why? Because during prayer, the, the Bainanese animal soul is not manifest at all, right? It's dormant, it's fallen asleep, but it has not actually been subjugated to the godly soul. And so Rabbah, who felt, who studied Torah day and night with an intense passion to connect to Hashem, what did he assume was happening within himself? That why, did not he, why didn't he experience the passions and desires of the animal soul? Because he was always in prayer. Because he was always in prayer. Hence it appears nicely, one who prays all day. 
as indeed our sages have said, would it, that a man prayed the whole day long. It would be good if a person prayed all the time. Now, what does that mean? Let's think about it. What does that mean? What was true about Rabbah? He didn't feel his animal soul. He was not just studying Torah all day long, but his studying Torah was the outlet for his strong passion to connect to Hashem. The strong passion to connect to Hashem was coming from his godly soul, the guru of the godly soul, which means, and that what? What was, what was in his mind at all times? The bina of? Okay. Does that make sense? A person could be in a state of constantly pondering the greatness of Hashem like that? All the time? Not really. I think what confuses me is there is, I understand that there's a line. We've gone through like the different levels of expression of the animal soul. Mm-hmm. There's a line between the animal soul being subjugated, which is exotic, and dormant, which is the highest level of vanity. And I'm not sure that I understand the difference between it doesn't I understand that the animal soul hasn't been transformed, but I'm not really sure that I understand the difference between a dormant animal soul where there's a constant... I just feel like you love Hashem that much and you're that... You know, you're constantly contemplating Hashem. I'm not sure I understand how that's on its own. Because the animal soul... And the, and the animal soul's own perspective, has it changed? Like, when, when you become subjugated, you give up. Mm-hmm. That's key. You've given up. So it just assumes that the the constant contemplation of Hashem will end at some point. But I don't if you really, really love something and you're really passionate about it, I'm not sure that you expect that to just end at some point. Oh, but this is very important. You ha- it's not that something this goes back to the idea that there are two souls. Mm-hmm. That, that that's key. There are two souls. So just keep in mind the fact that I love Hashem mm-hmm. doesn't mean you love Hashem. And the fact that you love Hashem doesn't mean that I love Hashem. Now it's definitely the case. Let's use an example. If you think about it as two people, it makes it, it, it makes it make more sense. Because again, remember, we're talking about two different souls interacting with each other. So even though we experience it all blended as one, we're experiencing the final. We're experiencing that product manifesting. But it's really, it's really just like our souls called in our body, right? We don't like have the soul over in the body over here, but but there's still two different things. And you know, you break your leg, that's a problem with the body, right? And if you you know, have a, a crisis of faith that's a problem of the soul. Obviously, they influence each other, but they're, they're two different things. Um, so I understand that if the animal soul is dormant, you wouldn't feel it. If the animal soul was subjugated, would, you also wouldn't feel it. Correct, which is why Rabbi made this mistake. Yeah. But, so then you ask, you ask a fair question. What's the practical difference? The practical difference is, what would happen if Rabbi stopped, would, if he stopped contemplating the greatness of Hashem? He would find out the truth. He would discover right, whether or not his animal soul is subjugated. But if you're inside, you can't just stop contemplating. Can you? Well. Stop contemplating. Because if that love of Hashem, like the contemplation is also just an expression of constant love. And if you're exotic, you don't just like stop, take a break. Experiment your status. Well, so this raises the question, like, is it important to know the difference Mm. about yourself? And I would argue that it's not important to know the difference about yourself, which one you are. It is important to know what the difference is, and I'll explain why, okay? 
uh, first off, this is for, for someone like Rabbi. For someone who's not like Rabbi, it's going to be fairly obvious why it's important to know the difference. Okay. A Bainini. He mistakenly thought it was a Bainini. Now, the reason why it's important is like this. Let's assume Rabbi was right for a moment. And that's what a humble person would always assume, that you're more like the majority than exceptional, right? Because we spoke about that Rabbi was humble. And so someone who doesn't, someone who's always feeling a desire for Hashem and never feels any animal, desires of their animal soul, if they would assume that they're more like, they're more, they're more like the majority of people unless, and they're not the exception, they would assume that that's because their animal soul is sleeping and not subjugated because a subjugated animal soul is very, very rare. Tzadikim are very rare. Okay. If, if the animal soul is subjugated and the godly soul calms down, what does the animal soul do? No, it doesn't. What? If, it's really, if the animal soul is really subjugated and the godly soul calms down, it doesn't take over. It's still subjugated. Right? Which means that The fact that this person, if they were to say, I don't want to indulge in animalistic pleasures, that's actually true. They don't want to indulge in animalistic pleasures. Right? Now, do they have the capacity to, uh, to, to, to get to the place where they could want to indulge in animalistic pleasures? That capacity, you know, their animal soul has not been transformed. Okay? Um, and to understand this, I think it's helpful to think about a person being subjugated. Now, again, we live, Baruch Hashem, in societies where that does not like, happen to the same degree that it used to, so it's hard to imagine. Okay? But we'll use, we'll, use the, we'll use the following analogy. Okay? Um, in movies and literature, there is, a, there is a, a, a character that will show up, which is the loyal servant. Yes, you've, you've seen this character show up? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That loyal servant is his obedience. Forget the obedience. Is the fact that, is the, the, is the fact that he, doesn't, he doesn't voice his opinion unasked for, right? Is that because um, of the attitude that the, you know, the king, the, the, the rich man, whatever, whoever the person is, treats him with? Or is that just, or is more of his own attitude, right? The idea of the loyal servant is that his own attitude is that what? This is, you know, my job here is to serve him. My, you know, there's a, you know, my, my job is not to ask questions. My job is to be for what he needs, right? And if he wants my opinion, he'll ask, but right? that's, that's his attitude. Something has been impressed upon him that that is his place, right? In contrast, let's use Let's use a, 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 different, a different scenario, which is something we're all familiar with, which is like you have something to say, but you just don't feel like there's any in in the conversation. The conversation is going on too loudly, too, too, there's too much engagement, and like you don't feel like there's a way for you to get a word in, so you just sit there quietly, right? right? Are you, right? But if the conversation were to calm down, what would happen? You'd step in. You'd step in. See, those are two very different states of being. 
In the tzaddik, what has happened? The lowest level of tzaddik, what has happened to the animal soul? Right, it's been subjugated, right? It's, 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 right? Now, that subjugation could end, right? That's possible, but, but that's not due to, right? Something has happened to the animal soul, as Alta Rebbe said, in its own place, that it knows its place, it knows that it's here for, right? And even though it has not been transformed, and even though it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's only being subjugated, but that subjugation is something that it has, to some degree, come to accept. And so therefore, this person is holy. They're a holy person. The Bainani is not a holy person. What is a holy person? What does it mean that someone is holy? So I'm going to get, there's, there's pure and there's holy. These are two different ideas. So pure is in contrast to impure. So you have like say pure water. What is pure water? There's nothing else other than the water in it, right? If you mix something else into it, then it's not, it's not pure anymore, right? Same pure oil, right? So something that is pure is simply saying that it's not been contaminated, but it could be, right? Fire or light, these are holy. I don't mean they're actual, they're analogies for holy. Can you take fire and mix the fire with something else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Can you mix light with something else? Right? These substances, they, they stand alone. So now what would happen if you take an unholy person and you put them in an unholy environment? They can, be corrupted. they can become corrupted. What if you put a holy person in an unholy environment? Nothing changes. Nothing changes because there's nothing in them that that environment can connect to. Internally, they have an animal soul. So they have an animal soul. Yeah, but their animal soul has been subjugated. So their animal soul is, out of, is, is, is not a participant. So therefore, the unholiness of their environment cannot affect them. Is, is that a state of bittal? Everything in a state of bittal. No, yeah, because you know, everything is the best state connection to Hashem. But it, it is, what you say that, 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 that animal soul is like... It's bottled, it's bottled to the godly soul, right? It's really bottled to the godly soul. It's not been transformed, but it's really bottled, right? And so that person, now halacha doesn't recognize this, so I want to point out. And I'll explain to you what I mean in a second. Okay, halacha doesn't recognize this because halacha deals with the norm and this is not the norm, okay? Is such a person have to worry about temptation? What about a Baini who davens all day long? Yeah. Does he have to worry about temptation? Mm-hmm. He does, because the only reason he doesn't feel any desires is because of what he is doing. But if he keeps doing it, it's embarrassing. But, but so he better keep doing it. Because if he doesn't, if he, if, he, if he for a brief moment stops doing it, what will happen? He's tactic. He's That's right. So now... You have a person. Come, so, so, so our sages say, our sages say that even if the whole world tells you you're a tzaddik, you should think of yourself as a rasha, right? We say you should, mean you should think of something. So you have a person. He's like, I have... He's on, like, imagine a person, a person, who honestly, on self-reflection, says, you know what? 
The only thing I do is Torah and mitzvahs and things necessary for Torah and mitzvahs. The only thing I want is closeness to Hashem. I don't, I, I, I don't feel any connection whatsoever to the debased unholiness around me at all. Is the conclusion a person should reach, therefore I must have achieved some level of true holiness? I am somehow above corruptibility? No. On the contrary, my animal soul has gotten stronger from day to day. I just haven't felt it because I'm busy engaging in a relationship with God with such a deep intensity, I am unaware of the evil that lurks within me. Now, do you think having that mind, it's important to know which mindset you should have about yourself? Now, even though in practice, in this way, even though in practice, a person who's really focused on Hashem all the time is not going to feel one, you know, whether they're a tzaddik or the highest level of being, they're not going to feel the desires. But what would happen if you were not a tzaddik, but you start thinking that you were? But but how would that work? What's they the mechanism? They stop realizing that what they start thinking that what, what they have is what they've achieved rather than what they're doing. And this, by the way, you see this all the time that happens in life, right? Think about things that really are not things you can achieve. They're just things that you can continue to do. Let's say being healthy by proper diet and exercise. Take that as a concrete example. So if you start making changes to have proper diet and exercise, at what point do you, do you, have you achieved it and now you're like, I'm done, I have achieved, I can, I can just coast? Never. Never. You, you can't. Why? Because these are not things that are achieved. What, these are things that are lived. They're maintained, right? They're behaviors. So what is he saying? That Ramba being humble, assumed that he hadn't attained anything, he hadn't achieved anything. He was just engaging in a kind of behavior, not a, a, very, a kind of mental behavior. And that mental behavior prevented him from feeling all of the more um, negative parts of himself. Okay. But so his assumption was that not, not that they're not there, just that they're completely dormant because of what I am doing mentally. Whereas a person who thinks they're a tzaddik would think, you know why they're not there? Because they're not there. Because <laughs> I've achieved some level of holiness. I'm in some sense above it all. Now, again, if some, through some other kind of notion, some kind of prophetic revelation, a person knows that they're truly holy, that's a different story. But that's exactly what we're saying. Through self-introspection about your own experience, the absence of a desire for evil and the sole devotion to God is not an indication you achieved holiness. In fact, you may have achieved nothing. You're more likely, to, and in fact, it's more likely that you've achieved nothing. But in, in, in that regard, not you've achieved nothing, not your terminus don't count for anything, but that with all that's happened is that the, 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 the successful engagement with Hashem mentally and the, and the, and the consequential intense feelings have made it impossible for you to feel the animal soul inside. And it's very important, which one should you think about? Right? Which one should you think that you are? Now, all the more so if you don't experience that kind of intense love with ongoing consistency only from time to time, clearly you haven't achieved any holiness. And therefore, you know, 
the, to use an example, right? There's some people, and you ever in a class where there's a smart student? Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the difference between a smart student and a student that knows the answers? You don't have to be smart to know the answers. That's right. You don't have to be smart to know the answers. You can know the answers because you listened and you did the work. Right? Mm-hmm. The smart ones are really annoying to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Why? Questions. No. They don't have to work no. at it. They don't have to work at it. They sit in the back of the class or in the front of the class. Doodle. They doodle. They don't pay attention. They hear half of what the teacher is saying. And because they're smart, they put it all together. Because what you're seeing is not what they're doing. What you're seeing is a characteristic of them. They are brilliant, right? So with a little bit of information, given who they are, they put it together. Without trying. It's not like, it's not like let me use my brilliance. It's like their minds just naturally do that. The Gemara says that this is a tendency you can see in certain little kids. Mm-hmm. You've already seen little kids. Certain little kids, you can just see. They, with like half a piece of information, they put stuff together. Without trying, not intending, they're not trying to do well, right? Um, there are people, what's the difference between being a, being, a, being a good person and treating people nicely? Yeah, good people don't, a good person gets on the bus, right? They see it's a crowded bus, they, they, right? It's, it's just intuitive to them. Of course, they shouldn't sit down. There's a lot of older people. There's pregnant women. There's kids. Like, well, why should they take a seat? Just it's intuitive to them. They're a good person. Right? Now, anybody can be nice. <laughs> but that's a different story, right? What would drive a person to treat people well if they're not a good person? Morals. Values. Social expectations. They're in one of those, I'm working on myself phases because they want to you know, engage in some level of self-mastery and they're not going to go join the Marines. I don't know. Like, people have lots of motivations for doing stuff. So what the elder was saying here is that even somebody whose whole life is Torah and mitzvahs driven by a desire to connect to Hashem with no ulterior motives is like the person who knows the answers because they did the work. Is like the person who's nice to a person because they know it's right. It's something that they're engaging in by choice and working on. It's not a real reflection of who they are. Because if it was a real reflection of who they are, that would mean that the animal soul would have to have actually gotten the message, I am not, there's, I am not the person. The person is the godless soul and I have to just play the role the godless soul wants for me. They would have become a tzaddik. And that person would be holy. That person would be removed from all temptation. Was that... Avram's test by the Akedah? No, Avram's test was something else. Mm-hmm. There's different explanations of what Avram's test is. My favorite is that Avram's test was a test of belief, that Hashem contradicted himself. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the basic main reason why Avram believed in Hashem was the idea of unity. And Hashem, who's truly one, can't be self-contradictory. So how can you be loyal to Hashem if Hashem has seemingly violated the reason why you have a connection to him? There's different explanations. So meaning that if like his natural inclination was chesed, then here is he's asked to do something that, that he wouldn't like. It's not it's not just like being nice because like it's being 
counter yeah the 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 issue the issue with that is that Avram already had demonstrated things like that so you have to if you want to go in that route you have to deepen a little it's not just he like our our sages say that Avram was also sometimes mean to people Avram was willing to die for Hashem like there there were other things so you have to yes there is that idea but in order to really make it a test you have to like add some elements that it wasn't just the doing of it, it was actually something, he was actually, um, the way it's put in Chassidus, it's not just that he was able to act, is that he was actually able to totally escape the natural, the, 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 even the feeling of kindness, mm-hmm. if you want to go that route. Because just to say he acted that way, he already acted that way previously in other situations. Yes? Um, why, like who cares if somebody um, their whole life is sort of just this motivated by a desire to connect to Hashem. But, oh, they're not a tzaddik, they're praying for their own soul. But it doesn't manifest, so who cares? But why doesn't it manifest? Because they continue to put in the effort. So That's right. And therefore, what's the altar of his takeaway? What should that person's mindset be about themselves? What should their self-concept be? I am a holy person, or I am an unholy person who has succeeded thus far in putting in the effort to make my godly soul first and foremost in my mind, and I must continue to make that effort. It's a very big difference in how you think about yourself and how you're going to move your life forward. But why is that, like, like bad or anything? What do you mean, why is that bad? No, are you, what you're asking is, wouldn't you rather be a tzaddik than a baby? No, I'm saying, like, why, like, is a baby, like, not good enough? Like, isn't this ideal? We, we're, only until we get to chapter 14, only at chapter 14 we were taught discussing what we should do, what, what, is, what is expected, what's not expected, what's good enough, what's not good enough. Right now we're just describing things. So basically the point is, even though they might look like a tzaddik, they're not one. That's exactly the point. Mm-hmm. And, and that should be very clear that if you're in front, Now, if you make Rabba's mistake, it's not the end of the world, Right? In fact, that's what the Gemara is telling a person to do. You should make Rabbah's mistake. If you happen to be a tzaddik, you should assume you're not. not. Because the other way, (laughs) that's disastrous. If you're not a tzaddik and you think that you are, right, that's that's the beginning of all downfalls, right? That's what the mission says. Like, don't trust yourself the day you die. Like, None of that, and that's his point. The exper- it's not just the behavior. Even the experience of the person is no indication as to what's going on with their animal soul, really. And so therefore, what do we have to understand? We have to understand that, that all of the love and all of the passion is not really them. It's something they are doing. Which actually sets up for the last part of chapter thirteen, where the altar starts to ask the question: Then is the lo- then then can the person really say, "I truly love Hashem"? Mm-hmm. Now you can ask the opposite question: If really this is all just an, something I'm doing, right? It's all just behavioral. Then 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 how authentic is it? If it's just I, I'm I'm putting a lot of effort to contemplate Hashem, so I'm having these intense experiences, but it's all just. It's all just suppressing the underlying evil of my animal soul, not really changing it. Is that experience authentic? Is it genuine? And that's that's the, the last section of chapter thirteen deals entirely with that issue, where it goes the other side and says the conclusion you should take take away from this is not that your love of Hashem as a baby is is not authentic. You should just shouldn't. 
In other words, and this is a, this is a common theme in Tanya, is you need to kind of have a more mature way of thinking about it. It's not that you're a holy person. You're not a holy person. But that doesn't mean that your love of Hashem is inauthentic either. So you have to like, see how both of those things fit together. It, 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 yes, but it's more than not getting complacent. The whole idea is that, that Hasidus in general, and Tanya specific, is written to the perspective of a person who wants to have a more authentic relationship with Hashem. So if, a, if the end of the discussion of the Bainani is, even somebody whose love of Hashem is, genu- is, is, is intense enough that they don't feel their animal soul, and all they want is to connect to Hashem. And the only way to do it is determined. And that's their whole life. But nonetheless, because their animal soul is just sleeping, it's not really been subjugated. Therefore, they are not holy. Therefore, they are not a tzaddik. Therefore, fundamentally, as a person, they're just as ungodly and unholy as the biggest Russia. It just doesn't come out, not in their behavior, and not even in their experience because of how much effort they're putting into this... Oh, contemplating and pondering Hashem to, to bring out that intense love, if that's the case, then the person walks away feeling like only a tzaddik has a genuine relationship with Hashem. Only a tzaddik is a person who's truly in love with Hashem. And the Bainani is, is, is a very good actor. They're a very good method actor. They're, they've really gotten into the role, but it's a role. It's not them. It's like, and that's not true. And to explain that, because that, if the chapter ended here, that would be the conclusion. And he, so the author doesn't end the chapter here. But there is one point I want to finish today, and, and tomorrow we'll, we'll pick up on this point about Rabbah. Is it possible to be contemplating Hashem like this all day, every day? No, if you have human needs, it's bodily functions. So, so the answer is it is possible. But it depends on something, which is as follows. If I'm contemplating something which really is important to me, mm-hmm. I can be contemplating that all the time. But if I'm contemplating something because it's the right thing to do, it's an important thing to do, it's a means to an end, I cannot be doing it all the time. I have to dedicate fixed times to really engage in that. So if you think about, say for instance, um, a mathematician. A mathematician, you know, they think about math all the time. Why do they think about math all the time? They're obsessed with it. They're obsessed with it, right? So what kind of person is a Bainani who, who's davening all day long? A person who, for, who their relationship with Hashem is so important that they've entered a virtuous cycle. My relationship with Hashem is so important to me that I feel drawn to be thinking about Hashem all the time. And because I'm thinking about Hashem all the time, what happens? I feel this intense love for Hashem, which causes me to then... Right. Now, right, that, that, that people, now this kind of cycle is more familiar, unfortunately, as a negative cycle. Mm-hmm. You feel anxiety about something, which causes you to obsessively think about it, which their car causes you to feel more anxious, which causes you to think more about it. Right, familiar with that? Now, a person who has good self control can, despite the fact that that's all going on internally, go to the grocery store and do the grocery shopping, mm-hmm. right? But that's what it is, right? They're, they're, they're using self-control to go through the motions of going grocery shopping because inside, they're just on this loop. 
And the only relief they get is if someone ever gives them the opportunity to talk and engage with them about the actual anxiety. Right? That makes sense? Mm-hmm. But then aren't they just like going about the same thing, just like out loud? No, it's different. No. It's not as obsessive. Well, that has to do with the nature of anxiety. Okay. So now, what would that be? What would happen if you had a person like that, but it was the godly soul in this connection to Hashem? So you had the, 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 the Bina brought about a, a level of intensity of desiring to connect to Hashem. And that fact that the godly soul was something that was very vibrant, very real in the person's life, meant that they felt naturally then the feedback was to then obsess, obsess over Hashem. And if they had to go grocery shopping, they could use the self-control to go to grocery shopping and pay their bills and go to work. But, but that's the only thing about it. And the only time they feel real genuine relief is when they can do something that gives, that speaks to that desire, i.e. Torah and mitzvahs. But notice that, has, that does not require anything to happen for the animal soul. That just requires an intensification of the godly soul. Just one second. This is very, very important. And I want to make it complicated. I want to make it simple. The intensifying the godly soul does not correlate with the weakening of the animal soul. That's the idea here. So a Bainini who davens all day long, the godly soul is in a very intense state. The godly soul is really into Hashem. The godly soul is, is contemplating Hashem with Bina, creating strong desire. Right? The animal soul goes to sleep. Right? Contemplating Shem. Strong desire. Contemplating Shem, strong desire. The only outlet to that is Torah mitzvahs. Everything else they can do using you know, basic self-control. Because it needs to get done. And yeah, you have people that live like that. And that's an amazing thing. It just doesn't tell you anything about who they are as human beings. Because the human being is the animal soul. And their animal soul has not been affected by this at all. Other than to... Lie dormant, hoping and waiting that this cycle will end. And if it never ends, it never ends. And if it does end, it does end. But the person needs to know the only reason they don't feel that animal soul is not because it's been affected by this in any way. And the, as opposed to something that happens with a tzaddik, that something of the godly soul's experience touches the animal soul and genuinely subdues it. Or on the highest level, it actually transforms it. And that's through the hatred that they feel, as we spoke about before in chapter, the hatred that the godly soul feels is able to actually have an impact on the animal soul. But that's not happening with this person. Mm-hmm. That kind of hatred doesn't exist for whatever reason. But if they love Hashem so intensely, how do they not hate anything but Apparently the kind of love that they're having is not the kind of love that produces the hatred that affects the animal soul. But we, and we're going to talk about that in chapter 14. What has to happen to experience the kind of love the way a tzaddik does? It's apparently not enough just to contemplate Hashem and create this intense desire for Hashem. That's not good enough. You need something else. So when you were saying it's, they're doing it because it's so important to them, so they're putting it in that work, that's the bane in me? Okay. And they can get to a point that if, that, you know, if, that if they were just basing themselves on their experience, they could be easily misled into thinking that you know, they become a holy person. They have not. Or to do it from the animal soul and not know that. That's already a different thing. That's already a different thing. But that's not what he's talking about here. Right. He's talking, what he's talking about is the opposite problem. He's talking about the fact that your animal soul is not involved at all and can get you to believe that your animal soul has actually... Yeah. So they're not actually obsessed with Hashem. Who? I mean, they are. Not obsessed. Who, who, one second. In practice or... In his core. In his core, no. 
That's exactly the well. Well, that's exactly the Alter Rebbe's point, and that's why the question is. So then, what makes all of this love that he's feeling authentic? If you're, you know, if you're, if you're making yourself feel something that you feel from time to time, but it isn't really a true reflection of who you are deep down inside, then how is that genuine? How is that truthful? Which is the, again the last part of the chapter that we're going to start tomorrow. Okay, I want to just point out one thing about that question, which I think it's important to ponder that question, appreciate that question. Um, the Alter Rebbe in Tanya, in the 53 sections, of, 53 chapters of the first section of Tanya, mentions himself only once. I'm not talking about the actual the introduction, where he writes why he's doing it. And that's in chapter 13, where the Alter Rebbe says, um, Where is it in English? The translator, like in the Hebrew, he says, and he says, Behold, I call, meaning I, I consider. Now, who's the I? <laughs> The only time the altar ever wrote anything in Tanya using the first person. I, I don't see where it's written here in the English. I don't know why. But anyway, um, so an idea I once heard is that the altar considers this idea that a person realized that the love they do generate, even though it is not a reflection of who they are, deep, 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 deep down inside, like a tzaddik, because it hasn't changed them fundamentally, is nonetheless authentic. That's something so important. The altar kind of puts his own name behind it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to ponder that question. If the takeaway is that even someone like Rabbah, right, who was mistaken, assumed that everything about him was not a reflection of his holiness that he had achieved, but rather a reflection of what he was doing, right, how unsettling that is to think of everything as a kind of an act, a kind of a thing I have to perform. Even if that performance is entirely in my mind, Right? It's something that I'm doing mentally, but it's still something that I'm... Right? It's not a real reflection. How like, the, the, the unsettlingness that that should create, that the altar is to come and say, no, 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 this is still authentic, this is still truthful, I think is very important. I, and I want you to think about it for tomorrow's class um, from two perspectives. One, there's a psychological issue, but there's also a theological issue. Right? How can connecting to Hashem, who's true, be done in a non-truthful manner? Separate from the psychological problem, it's also theologically problematic to say that it's, a, it's an act, it's a performance. Okay, but we're going to start dealing with that tomorrow. Why is it not true that it's very true on one, to one side of things? Well, that notion that truth can have levels is what he's going to have to get into. 
But something, what do you mean? Deep down, do you love Hashem? You do not love Hashem. Even someone like Rabbi said, deep down, I don't really love Hashem. Deep down, if I were to stop contemplating, I would be the, you would see the biggest Yetzirah come out of me. Is it? I think. You'd like to think. Maybe. I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> it depends why you're asking the question. That determines what the answer is. Okay. I just because I'm confused now, like that, it just seems true. Ask yourself a very simple question. When you think about who you are, could you see yourself sinning? Yeah. So who's that thing that you think you are then? Your godly soul or your animal soul? Animal soul. But I feel like that's not the full truth. Like, I see... That's true. I I agree that it's not the full truth, but you can't get around that fact. True, true. That's how... Yeah. Okay. And that's what makes it messy. And so it depends yes. on why you're asking will change the answer. Because why you're asking changes what you're asking. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, could, a, could a, the level of baby who's always dominating, could, could a person be in that state without actually dominating and learning all day? Like well, remember, the, what we're saying that the davening is the mental act of contemplating Hashem with the bina of the nefeshul kiss, right? Yeah. It has nothing to do with a sitter. Right. Like yeah. a person could be working and, and having be yeah. at this level? Yeah. Because it, 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 it has nothing to do with the external behavior. It has to do with what's going on in the, the seichel dermidos, right? So, it, 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 you know, obviously the person's not going to do it various, but like the person might want to learn, but the practicalities don't allow them to learn as much so that they have to do other things, okay? But, but, that, but that's not where their heart is. That's not where their mind is. That's, that's a whole shema, you know? Like, you should be, like, constantly, like, thinking about So this person is holding by shema all day long, all day, every day. Because it's that, yeah. There are people like that. And they're not tzaddikim. <laughs> Deep down, they also have an evil condition. And the older they are, the stronger it's gotten.